Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retainer, and I am broadcasting from here in the Hamptons, a place I have lived for over 50 years. I've written 12 books about this place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small fishing villages to what it is today, a summer paradise for New Yorkers, artists, writers, musicians, movie stars, we have it all. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with the Hamptons' powerful people, but I will also introduce you to residents who contributed to our growth through the years, and you may not even have heard about them. My guest today is Dr. Joanna Dodd-Massey, who is a communications expert. She uh, did her work in college in uh, California to get degrees in communication, and she has a new book out called Culture Shock. So I wanted to ask you about that. I see the subtitle of the book is Five Generations in the Same Place. Tell me about it. I know, I know companies that have been in the same hands for long periods of time, but what, do you, what did you write about it? So the interesting thing right now, and Dan, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Um, so Culture Shock, Surviving Five Generations in One Workplace, is about the fact that for the first time ever, we have five generations at work because what's happening is people aren't retiring at the traditional age of 65. We're living healthier. We're living longer. We, we don't want to leave work at 65. That was a, a, you know, something, a relic of the past. And so what's happening is you've got people who are as young as 18. Maybe if they went to college, they're 22, but they're entering the workforce. And then you've got people as old as 80 in, and 85 even in, still in the office, in the workforce. Um, and this is particularly true if you look at politics, finance, uh, Hollywood, the media industry, healthcare, um, doctors and, and uh, hospital administrators who don't have to retire uh, at those ages. So um, anyway, it causes a culture clash because as you can imagine, the way an 18-year-old thinks and the way an 80-year-old thinks are very different. And so it causes a lot of miscommunications and misunderstandings. And the book is about explaining those differences, explaining to people about the amygdala and some brain processes that happen that naturally lead all human beings, all of us, to resist change and to gravitate toward things that are similar, familiar, um, comfortable for us, and then well, solutions to how to work with that. How, how do you uh, see solutions to that situation? For example, you might have a man who wants, who's very familiar with Pearl Harbor. And at the same time, you have somebody who's very familiar with podcasts, right? That's exactly right. The, the oldest generation in the workforce right now that's still there in, in a mass is um, called the silent generation. And they were born between 1928 and 1945. And so at their youngest, they're in their mid-70s. And we see that a lot in politics and in Hollywood and in finance and, and healthcare. Um, and so you're right. I mean, they came up in an era that was very different. And when they entered the workforce, it was a different world. And so one of the examples that I give about in the book is, 
is about imagine you're in the office and you're having a conversation about something as simple as the use of paper and the purchasing of paper for the for an office. I mean, it can be that basic. But if you have someone from the silent generation in that conversation who grew up in the in the wake of the Great Depression, you know, paper is something you use, but it's also a commodity and it's it's something that's saved and it's something that's um, that, that, you know, you, um, you, go, you buy good quality papers so that it lasts and it's sturdy. Somebody who grew up in Generation Z who has actual legitimate angst about the state of the environment and believes that the making of paper is unnecessary and harmful to the environment is going to want a very different look and outcome with the procurement of paper for an office. I'll give you a really good example. A former boss of mine who is, she's a baby boomer. So she's born between the eight, she's born between 1946 and 1964, um, which puts her in her mid fifties, uh, early sixties. Anyway, she's a baby boomer and she left the company that we, that I was working at with her and she went to Spotify. And when she went to Spotify, they said to her, this is a very young company run by very young people. She, not only did she not have an office at a very, very senior level, they don't give offices to their senior executives. She didn't have a printer. They asked her, do you want a printer in your office? We don't normally buy them because they don't print out anything to put it on paper. Everything is stored digitally and in the cloud. Can you imagine going to an office and something as basic for some of us as I need a printer, I need access to a printer was not something that they had available. Well, before I get to asking you how you solve such a problem, let me tell you that I think that all our ballpoint pens are in um, are in on strike because they haven't been used in so long. They they all refuse to work. Did you notice that? Have you noticed that? I have noticed that the ink on several of my pens has dried up for lack of use. Yes. yes. <laughs> It's, a, it's countrywide. We don't even know that this is a problem anymore because it's like there's a strike, but who cares? Well, yes, and, and BIC is going to have to reinvent itself and, and what, it, what it manufactures, yeah. So what's the solution to this problem with the, the generation, in this case, the story? The way I talk about it, I actually have a second book called Communicating During a Crisis, and it's yeah. about how you influence others when the, stakes are, when the stakes are high. It's really about crisis communications, but truthfully, the things that I talk about in that book and that I talk about in Culture Shock, you, you can apply this. You can apply this at work. You can apply it with your friends. You can apply it at home with your family. Like this is, these are very broad concepts that I talk about, and I write about them in a really broad way because I want it to be accessible to everybody. It's not it's my, my, my books have business titles, but they're thinly disguised self-help books, quite frankly. And so this, there are a lot of different solutions, but it's really about communicating. And so in, in the um, book where I walk, I, the second book where I talk about influencing others, I, I break it down into three steps. What's really important is the first step is to understand where the other person is coming from. We often as human beings, because of this brain process called an amygdala hijack, and, and I, it's neuroscience, but I write it in a very basic way. I talk about it like a general in the army. Like I, I use relatable terms for it so it doesn't seem like this neuroscientific, biological, uh, boring thing. Um, no offense to any scientists listening in. So 
if, if we can understand the other person as opposed to allowing our amygdala to kick in, which says, whoa, 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 I, I want only what I know. I want what's familiar. I don't like change. We are biologically hardwired as human beings to resist change. So if we can look at the other person and ask them, why don't you have printers? Like, what is that? What, what, what is the, what's the thinking behind that? Help me understand it. If we can understand it, then we can relate. Oh, that makes sense. I get it. I want to help the environment too. I don't want to pollute the environment. But at the same time, there's certain things that I, I need to, in order to concentrate and really get it, like a, a legal document. I really need to see that on paper. It's, it's you know, looking at that on, on, um, you know, on a computer just doesn't work for me. You know, for us to have that conversation in a non-defensive way so that then we can, we can offer what I call options, right? So that it's the person, so let me give the example of, of uh, going to a workplace that no longer has printers. I need a printer, I have to have a printer. And the company says, okay, can you help us understand why you need a printer? Because we don't actually use them and we don't have them, we'd have to go buy one. I need a printer because it really helps me focus better on my work. I, I, if I'm looking at a legal document, if I'm looking at a long document, I still need to see it written out. Okay, I can understand that, that makes sense. It is hard to concentrate sometimes on a computer. We have two options for you. We can get a smaller printer that isn't you know, something that we, that we would normally buy and we'll hook it up for you. Um, or we have a, central printer that we have to use for certain things that need to be printed out for SEC regulations or whatever, and we can divert you to that one, but then your assistant is going to have to go to a different floor to get it. <laughs> you know, like you give the person options. Um, and sometimes the answer is no, we can't do that. And here's why we can't do it. But to communicate that in a very clear, transparent way, and the whole goal here is to keep things from escalating into defensiveness because the brain and our, we are, like I said, hardwired to resist change. And it's very easy to get into, no, we have to do it this way. We've always done it this way. This is the way it needs to be done. And we, we hang on to old ways. And so what I really try to do in my books is talk about ways that we can be more open to change because the reality of it is, we have these two younger generations who are dramatically changing the way we work. And if we don't adjust to them, we're gonna get left behind because millennials are the largest generation in the workforce and generation Z is the largest generation in the United States. Mm -hmm. So there is a wave coming that is gigantic for us. Well, I think paper is very important in clearing the forest floors of California. That's what I think, to avoid forest fires. But, you know, that maybe that, that's not a good enough explanation for using it every, every which way. Yeah. Do you do public speaking? It seems like you'd be wonderful at it. Oh, thank you. I do a lot of, I do a lot of public speaking. Um, corp I, especially I talk to corporations and organizations. I do training. I love going in there and taking concepts. My passion is combining, I have a business degree and MBA, and I also have a PhD in psychology, and I've worked in, the, I've worked in business for 30 years. I, I did not use the psychology as a, in a traditional clinical way, you know, like as a therapist, I never did that. I always applied psychology in business. 
Because after all, business insight, I mean, companies comprise people. We, it, it's all about human psychology and I love the intersection of it. And so I really love explaining to people my big thing right now in my books and in, and when I go in and talk to organizations um, and I do trainings and I do and I advise companies is to help explain we all have unconscious bias and you don't know you have it because it's unconscious you're not a bad person like it just we don't really we can't see it so you need to bring in somebody from outside to help you understand why you can't see it like where is it and help you recognize it so that then companies can move forward. And this is really important right now because we're seeing a lot of issues come up with diversity, equity, and inclusion of people who are different because of this thing in our brain where we wanna surround ourselves with what's similar, familiar, and comfortable. It is a biological reality and we just need to work on it. Are you working on any book, another book now? I am. I. The Hamptons are my muse. Whenever I'm in the Hamptons, I am, I, my first book, Culture Shock, was written in Amagansett, in a house that I, that I have, um, that I stay at in Amagansett. And I, I was out in Amagansett again in September and, and part of October. I'm back in New York City right now as we're talking, but I was in Amagansett in September um, at the house and I, I started to write a, a third book and the third book is called The Queen of Pivoting. Because what happened is a lot of people right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic crisis that we're in are having to really reconsider what they do for a living. They're having to pivot their careers. I have had to pivot a lot in my career. I, I always thought that I would get into the workforce, I'd start in PR and I would climb up the corporate ladder like you're supposed to, maybe work at two or three companies. My, my career has not looked anything like that. My career looks like um, climbing around a jungle gym. And I have gone to many companies and I've done many different things. And I've gotten a lot of graduate degrees, which trust me, if you knew me in high school, you would not see me as someone who had multiple graduate degrees. You know? <laughs> so. What do you find is uh, inspiring about the Hamptons rather than anywhere else? There is just something about being out there and it might just be the house that I that I get to be at, um, but it is quiet. I love the sound of the ocean and the waves. It feels more calm out there than the frenetic pace of the city. I've also lived in Los Angeles for a very long time, and even though LA is considered more laid back than New York, it's still a major metropolitan area. We have a lot of traffic. There's a lot of stress, you know, a lot of work, and there's just something about sitting on a porch in the Hamptons, listening to the birds with the calm, cool ocean breezes. And I can hear, I, I'm not on the ocean, but I can hear it in the distance. Um, I can hear the waves, they're very powerful. It's just, it's like my muse. I, I love it. I absolutely love it and the pace of life out there. And I also like, quite frankly, being able to get up in the morning or maybe in the middle of the afternoon and go for a run, you know, and, or go for a walk or something like that and clear my head. It's just, there's something about being out there that's really tranquil that ironically turns me into a complete workaholic. I've done, when I am in the Hamptons, I get more work done on a daily basis than I do in the city, which is the antithesis of what you think of when you're in the Hamptons. It's a vacation spot after all. Well, I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, this place has been uh, the residence of so many authors and writers and dramatists and playwrights. Uh, some of the great greatest in the world have worked out here. Edward Albee was out here. 
John Steinbeck was out here. I guess uh, E.L. Doctorow. You know, we, we have literary festivals out here, which is England and the Hamptons. I mean, those are the places that they have them. And, I am uh, honored to be in such good company then. I, that, that's amazing. And, and I, I get it. I get it. I'm sitting here in, the, in my house and I have, I have a view through about a 45 foot view of the harbor right outside the window with boats and sometimes it's just a great, great view. And it's very, I find it very inspiring to be here. I hope you come out more often. And uh, I'm very fortunate to get there a lot. And, and I, I, and I try to get there as much as possible. And, you know, interestingly, you think of in the, um, I have always traditionally thought of the Hamptons as more of a summer place for me. And then the city being, you know, the September through May, basically. And thanks to this situation and all of the dramatic shifts in working and how we work, it's making being out in the Hamptons much easier. I can do, you know, I can do business out there and then also get my news and get my inspiration and um, enjoy everything there is about being there. I, I love going into Amagansett, going into town and, um, you know, going to the farmer's market, um, Waverly Farms and going to Organic Crush for my dinner and, you know, all that kind of stuff, walking around the Amagansett Square. I just, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, me too. We have a place in the city as well. Well, lately, because of other reasons, you know, in fact, I'm sure that your, your, um, your approach to business has got to have been transformed by this current situation where we're all sequestered. It's, uh, it's kind of actually kind of fun in a way if you, if you come out here. But I think Zoom has got to work into your work at some point, no matter what. Oh, absolutely. You know, as a corporate speaker and trainer, I am often companies fly me around the country, around the world. And while I was uh, staying in the Hamptons in June, it was in Amagansett in June, I, I conducted a, uh, I, I did a, a workshop with a group of chief marketing officers in Australia from major companies, you know, yeah. McDonald's, Carnival, Cruise Lines, Facebook. Everybody I know in the corporate world is in the Hamptons right now. They've basically moved out there and they've been out there since March. So I'm giving a big talk at Capital One coming up in a few weeks. And my friend who's at Capital One, my main contact for the talk, she's in Southampton. So we met and we went for a walk on the beach and we conducted business as we were taking a very long walk on the beach. It was, um, it was wonderful. Thank you for coming. And uh, we, you've been invited to the Power Women of New York by Schnucks Media, and I will hope to see you there. I am so excited about that event. So honored to be included as a Power Woman of New York. Thank you, and thanks for having me, Dan. This has been great. Bye-bye.